0: Well, welcome. If this is your first time here, um, you picked a great week to be here. Uh, We got a tough subject to to get on this morning. Um, My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really, really glad uh, to be working through uh, this series uh, in this time of our church. Uh, We're in our third installment of uh, Charisma, and it's not a spectator series, all right? This is not something that you just, you know, kind of observe. Like, uh, today's passage that uh, we read earlier says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Like, do you want them? Do you want the gifts that God has for you? Because if you do, there's homework involved. Like, I mean, you you have to ask the question, God, how did you make me so that I can build up the church and fulfill our purpose here in the city? Because, I mean, there's homework involved with that. You know, this is not just kind of an observation type thing. Like, you have to participate, right? And so it's one of those things where, again, um, we had talked about, like, when you begin to get connected and plugged in, that's when you begin to discover, you know, how has God wired me? How has God made me? to be a part of the church. And today, the gifts that we're talking about is uh, prophesying and tongues. Fun, fun, fun. I don't know how I landed on this one, but I'm, uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, this is probably the two gifts that are the most misunderstood or not even known gifts, both inside the church and outside of the church. Um, these gifts are often misunderstood. And so uh, what I wanna do today is I wanna demystify them a little bit to encourage you, to desire them rather than to be afraid of them. And before we get there, I want to break up some ground and lay some foundation before we get to actually talking about prophecy and, and tongues. Because there's a reason why God has created these gifts. And it's very important that we understand that. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, when we kick off the series, I made a statement that we want to be a church where it's in an environment where people can have an experience, an encounter with God, but we also don't want people to check their brains at the door when they come in. Like we, we want people to be thinking. So many people mistakenly think that passionate Christians filled with the Spirit are naive and gullible, all right? Maybe some of you guys who grew up in the church, you might even have that thought. Now throw in speaking in tongues, and that just confirms for some people the circus that people call Christianity, right? Uh, I mean, again, um, that's, that's kind of the thinking that comes around, uh, you know, a spirit-filled Christianity, um, but it's different from that. The Bible actually tells everyone, in particular even believers, to think more, to process more, to discern more, to use your mind, to weigh what you hear and what you experience. Uh, spiritual gifts are effective when you're humble and when you're smart. That's what Paul writes in verse 15. We didn't get a chance to read through it because that whole chapter is chalked filled with good things, but I've got the uh, verse 15 up here. Paul, look, look what Paul says. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit but i will sing with my mind also you see the supernatural empowered life doesn't mean you abandon critical thinking if you've ever thought about that it doesn't mean that in fact so many gifts are thinking oriented teaching discernment wisdom knowledge today we'll look at prophecy these are pro-thinking gifts but humility and reverence are essential for God unleashing these things through your lives. It's absolutely essential. The problem with thinking type gifts or you know, uh, thinking is that it easily leads to pride because you know a lot. You're the one who had the knowledge. You're the one who could teach. You're the one who had the prophetic word. And I w- want to put a phrase up here because I want this to lead us this morning. That pride and arrogance diminishes God's activity in your life pride and arrogance it 's not into being intellectual it 's not uh, you know being doing your doing your uh, background study it 's pride arrogance that actually diminishes god 's activity in your life so I want to do a little bit of like okay um, I want to jump into the idea of uh, why we we're at this point now where uh, we don 't just think that thinking is a good thing a healthy thing but we actually where we live in history modernity post modernity we actually have made thinking beyond just what the Bible is talking about, it's good, it's important, it's vital. We've actually turned thinking into a God in itself, right? Uh, so um, we, we, we're, we're in a time period where we actually think that human beings, we've reached the pinnacle of human smartness. Like, we, we, everybody who's writing, we we think that we're like, this is the smartest, like, century that we're in. C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery. It's where you think because you were born later than everybody else, you must be smarter than everybody else that ever existed. Now You may not think that way personally, but you think, you know, collectively, we're a smarter generation because we were born, you know, before everybody else. And what happens is that when you think this way, people will say, nah, New Testament stuff, the miracles, the signs, the healings, the wonders, like all that stuff. That, the, the only reason that that, that happened back then because they weren't authentic was because those people were archaic. Right. They're archaic. It's a very arrogant statement to think that because we're later in history that we must be smarter. We rise above those things. Uh, The problem is that when we're arrogant in that way of thinking, we actually box out history, but then we also end up boxing out God. And this way of thinking, and stay with me, we're going to get to prophecy, okay? This way of thinking, um, it's it's not just intellectual, right? Because we promote intellectual things. But it's intellectualism. It's like any other ra- uh, ism, like racism, classism, sexism, prejudicism. Intellectualism, which is very predominant in our culture, is another ism. So I've got a definition for intellectualism. Um, I didn't make this up. This is the definition of an intellectualism. It says, uh, it's an excessive emphasis on abstract and intellectual matters, especially with the lack of proper consideration for emotions. It's the doctrine, the philosophical doctrine, that knowledge is wholly or chiefly derived from pure reason, the belief that reason is the final principle, the final principle. Your mind is the final principle of reality. It's the idea that human minds knows what's best, and it's the end all of everything. There is intellectual, which is good, but then there's the obsession over everything intellectual, which is intellectualism. And remember from Sunday school, the tree of knowledge, right? If you grew up in Sunday school. Think about how the obsession for knowledge led Adam and Eve to unbelief. Because that's essentially what Genesis 3 is about. It's their obsession for knowledge that led them to doubt God, When we obsess over knowledge, it's easy to doubt. Even for reasons that in the past, listen to this, even for reasons in the past that people never used to doubt God for, but we do now, because we have a certain level of of, of knowledge. So Tim Keller, uh, he wrote a book recently called Making Sense of God, and he quotes from a Canadian uh, professor, Charles Taylor, who teaches at McGill. And he says this, that Charles Taylor explains why modern people are far more likely to lose their faith over suffering, this is the reason for doubt, suffering, than those in times past. He says it because culturally our belief and our confidence in the powers of our own intellect have changed. Ancient people did not assume that the human mind had enough wisdom to sit in judgment on an infinite God um, uh, an infinite God was disposing of things it only it, It's only in modern times that we get the certainty that we have all of the elements we need to carry a trial out a trial of God. only when this background belief in the sufficiency of our own reason shifted did the presence of evil in the world seem to be an argument against the existence of God. You understand what he's saying? You see, The obsession over our, the, the greatness of our mind, intellectualism, creates pride, and that pride actually is what leads to unbelief. It's not the quest for knowledge. It's the pride that comes out of the obsession for knowledge that leads to unbelief. And this isn't a modern problem. Like I said, this is a Genesis 3 problem. This is a Genesis 3 problem. And the good news is that unbelief has never been. Your unbelief, my unbelief, has never been a problem for God. That's the good news. He actually finds a way through it. Uh, What happens when your mind is the problem? Which is what we're actually talking about today. What happens when your mind is the problem? The Bible doesn't say ignore it. The Bible says train it, develop it. And it's the training and the developing of the mind that's the beginning of the prophetic gifts. This is God redeeming our minds, our reason. Consider the statement. And again, if you grew up in the church, this may mean more to you than, than others, but what salvation does for the spirit, prophecy does for the mind. You see, when you were saved, God woke up your spirit. And we're going to talk about prophecy today. When, when God speaks to you, he's waking up your mind. He's giving you something that wasn't there before. The prophetic gift described in the Bible and practiced for thousands of years has been the answer to what was lost in Genesis 3. So here's uh, our definition for prophecy this morning. Um, uh, prophecy is communicating God thoughts to build people up. I, God thoughts. Just, let's just think God thoughts. Prophecy, God thoughts. It's communicating God thoughts to build people up. Prophecy is a gift of Jesus um, from Ephesians 4.11, and it's what God is doing to compensate for the deficiency in our reason until one day God's going to renew everything. He's going to renew our minds. When we receive God thoughts, prophecy, our minds function like Jesus' mind, who not only has perfect reason, but John 1 says that he is the perfect re- reason. He's the Logos. When we communicate God's thoughts to each other, we prophesy. Making sense at all? Are you following that flow of thought? Right? So prop- prophecy is God thoughts given to you when you actually share those thoughts to others. It's just prophesying. I'm demystifying the idea that you have to be in this trance state and you're like, well, thus saith the Lord. It's it's really not that complicated or that mystical. It's your God is giving you thoughts and you're sharing those things. Um <clears throat> Before the fall, Adam and Eve, uh, they didn't need prophecy. Why? Because they were perfectly in sync with God's mind. Uh, But in the fall, they lost it. They they chose knowledge over perfect uh, in-syncness with God. Jesus recovers it for us because he never lost it. Jesus never lost being in perfect sync with God the Father. Apart from God's spirit communicating to me, it's impossible for me to originate a God thought. But here's the thing, prophecy is actually a temporary solution for us to have God thoughts. Paul says earlier in this passage, um, and and we talked about this this morning when we were praying together as a team, Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 8 through 10, Paul actually says uh, something very profound about the temporariness of uh, these spiritual gifts. It says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, for we know in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a dimly mirror or a mirror dimly, but then there's coming a day when it's going to be like face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. You see, prophecy is not a matter of telling people their future or thus saith the Lord over people's lives. Prophecy is a reminder that God is making all things new. He's not done yet, and He's going to do that with your mind. It's a glimpse. It's a reminder that one day our minds will be in complete sync with God's. One day I will reason and I I will know perfectly the same way that God reasons and knows me. Paul's saying. Until that day happens, I develop prophecy to train my mind to have God thoughts. You guys follow that? Is that making sense? This foundation. We've got to talk about that before we jump into how do you actually see it happen and work out. So prophecy, again, is something that is it's temporal. One day, we're not, we don't need prophecy, Paul says, because our minds are going to be fixed. All right. Prophecy... Um, Paul, Paul explains the per, uh, purpose of prophecy in verse 4, and this is what we read a little bit earlier. Prophecy is more practical than it is mystical. It's much more practical um, than it is kind of mysterious. Paul says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This is the one gift that fortifies, that builds strong community. When we use it, if If it gives confidence to people, like when you when you prophesy, it get, makes people feel more uh, affirmed in their calling, um, it releases people to be confident in their faith and to walk out in their destiny. When you practice prophecy, that's what it does. But for most of us, me included, all right, I'm not an expert in prophecy. For most of us, we don't truly, truly, truly believe this thing works until we experience it for ourselves. And even then, it's hard. For instance, the first time somebody says, man, I want to share something with you. And they encourages you. But you're thinking, oh, that's just a coincidence that they happen to share that word with me at this time. That's just a coincidence. The second time it happens, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. The third time and the fourth time people begin sharing you through you, that, that's when you're like, "Ah, man, God must be paying attention to my life. Matter of fact, I texted a friend of mine who's not a Christian. Uh, some things that I felt God was just putting on my heart for him, he responded back immediately. He says, wow, it's as if the universe was speaking to me. Well, it was. God was. God was speaking to him. But for most of us, it's kind of that weird, like, uh, I don't know. You see, when we do those kinds of things, when we allow God to use us in that way, what happens is that it's not like, okay, wow, you're much holier than thou because you must must have this direct line with, with God. That's not the point of the gift. But God's using it because the other person needs to be affirmed in who they are and what God's called them to do. And you get to play a role in that. Now, I've shared this story before, but when I was younger uh, in my 20s, I'm not that much older. I'm 36, right? That's, that's not too old. But back in, uh, back in my 20s, uh, uh, I was a young leader in an ethnic church. Um, and it was a predominantly Hmong church, like predominantly meaning 99.9% of the people in the church were Hmong. Um, and uh, so uh, we were hosting a, uh extension site for a, a, a seminary called Vision International University. And so the semester had ended, and they were doing a commencement ceremony at our church. Uh, the president of the seminary, uh, Dr. Stanley DeKoven, who's still there, he came to give the commencement address to like 200 or 300 people. Um, and uh, so he begins to give his address, and in the middle of his address, he turns over to me, uh, and he looks at me and Linda sitting over. Um, I'm looking at you guys. Can pretend you're me. Kelly, you, you know I look so much alike. Uh, <laughs> I'm blonde. And, uh, so we were sitting over kind of in this direction, and he says to me, he says, young man, God is with you. And you would not be restricted to this community. And God's going to use you outside of this community. Then he turns around and he continues on this commencement speech. Now, after he said that, I didn't hear anything else he said. <laughs> because I was, I was. it wasn't, you know, it was the words that he said, but it was the f- fact that he, you know, it was kind of awkward because he's singing us out. Um, and then he spoke something very profound to me because what he didn't know at the time, his first thing is he didn't know that I was struggling in my faith. In fact, I was thinking about leaving Christianity at that point. And so he didn't know that. And number two, he didn't know that I was struggling with, The ethnic church. You know, I I didn't like being around just like people like me. So he didn't know that. Somebody could have had a conversation with him. That had have been Linda, because only Linda knew those things about me. And then secondly, uh, I had never talked to Dr. Stanley DeCobin. Like the whole time I'd never had a conversation with him. And thirdly, I had no context or clue for prophetic words. No context at all. And so I just thought, here's this guy who sees a young man. And he just wants to make him feel good. He did it at an awkward time during his speech, but he just wanted to make this young man feel good. I had no clue. But you know, when I heard those words, you know how it made me feel? It, 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 it gave me like energy and affirmation to start thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe I should take this a bit more serious. Maybe I should really believe in myself a little bit more. And there was something about hearing somebody else saying, young man, God is with you, that it built this confidence inside of me. Now, three years later, I actually did leave that community I left that church, and I began working outside the ethnic church. Is that self-fulfilling prophecy? Because he said it, it happened, you know, it wasn't that it was going to happen. It's not about telling the future, all right? It's not about telling the future. For some reason, that God knew something was going on in my heart, and he knew that he, by releasing a word into my life, that it was going to build me up, that it was going to encourage me. It was going to give me consolation, as Paul says. He wasn't giving me a map to the rest of my life. He was building me up. Prophecy is God-inspired thoughts communicated to build someone up so they can move forward with the calling in your life. Trinity life, this... Probably is the most important practical gift that we need to learn as a community. We need to learn other gifts we need to practice all the gifts. I'm not saying this is the most important gift, but this is a gift that's not that's not weird, but it's a gift that probably we do already you do a lot of you do already, but we need to pay more attention to because God wants to use us as a mouthpiece. One way to remove the weirdness of prophecy is don't say, well, the Lord told me to tell you, okay? Like the Lord says. Uh, The only time I really say that with confidence to somebody is, you see, the Lord says. uh, And that's a teaching gift that we'll talk about uh, later. I may say, you know, this is what I sense from the Lord, but see, when I I share with people things that I sense from the Lord, I don't want to take homework away from them. I want to give them homework because I want them to take that word, measure it against Scripture, pray, talk to mature people, and come back and say, okay, is this what God will is saying to me? Because that's not the way the Bible talks about how we should treat prophecy. It's not on par with Scripture. It doesn't have to be because we have Scripture. However, I do do want to say this because I'm a Bible guy and I'm a huge Bible guy. I love the Bible. I'm a Bible guy. Okay? Did I say that I'm a Bible guy? I am a Bible guy. Prophecy isn't on par with Scripture, but what happened was when Scripture became canonized in the 2nd and 3rd century, this is way much more information than we need this point, but when Scripture became Scripture in the 2nd and 3rd century, and became what happened was a lot of people began thinking, well, now that we have Scripture, we don't need the prophetic gifts. And so they used Scripture to restrict prophecy when Scripture was actually meant to discern and to refine prophecy. Scripture is like the playbook. To allow everybody to play, but it allows us to call fouls, and it allows us to tell, put people in timeouts and stuff like that. It allows us to affirm, you know, that yes, you know, you're doing well on the team. That's the role of scripture. And so there's there's a there's a section in the church where it says, "Oh, prophecy." You know, that's d- done with the with the Bible. No, the Bible was put together because it was help, it, it was a tool to help us discern how to hear. God's voice better. All right, I'm not ranting, am I? I'm just saying I'm a Bible guy, but I'm not that kind of Bible guy that says God didn't speak anymore because he does, obviously. Um, so this is all really important stuff about prophecy, but let's get to the weird, weird, weird stuff like tongues. Right? At least I don't think tongues are weird, but a lot of people think tongues are really weird. Um, and because uh, you've not been around it, you've not experienced it, you know, or you've seen it on TV or you know, whatever, I don't know your background. Paul does say that it is a a lesser gift. He's not saying it's a less important or a less valuable gift. He says it's a less urgent gift. Paul says this uh, earlier. He says, now I want you to speak in tongues. I think this is verse 4 or 5. But even more to prophesy. So he's saying, yeah, speak in tongues, good. But I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. He's not saying more valuable, but he says he's more productive unless someone interprets. He says, but at that point, if somebody's interpreting, then your tongues are on par with prophecy. Because both of them build up the church. That's what Paul's saying. And this gift is totally misunderstood by uh, a lot of us in the church. And I just, again, I just want to demystify it for you. Um, I'm not going to practice it this morning for you, unless you're really curious. Um, But I just want you to see the practicality of tongues. If anything. I just want us, again, I mean, if you didn't grow up in church at all, this is all new to you. If you grew up in church, this might be very kind of like, taboo to you. If you grew up in tongues, I also want to help you to ground it a bit more as to how the Scripture practices it. There are three ways in which we talk about tongues in modern times, uh, but actually you see three different kinds of tongues uh, in Scriptures. So the first way you see tongues is called foreign language. And this is uh, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. Jesus had resurrected, gone back to heaven. Uh, Holy Spirit comes, and then uh, the group of disciples, they begin to speak in tongues, it says. But it actually clarifies that they begin to speak in foreign languages. And so, like, other people begin to understand them. So it wasn't that they were speaking gibberish but they were speaking in a language that foreigners understood, and they were like, oh, wow. And the reason why this happened was it was an international gathering, and God saw it as an opportune time to preach the gospel to the heart language of the people there. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't happen anymore. A.B. Simpson, I've talked about him a couple of times. He founded the Christian Missionary Alliance, um, which began as a mission agency. And he reports in 1891, this is again back in 1891, he says this, instances are not wanting now of its apparent restoration, this is speaking in foreign languages, in missionary labors both in India and Africa. He's saying, this stuff still happens. It's happening in India and in Africa. God's using missionaries in this way. The second way that we see tongues happen in the uh, Bible is it's paired with Interpretation. This is when someone speaks something that's unintelligible, possibly like possibly a foreign language, but nobody knows what they're saying. But it often sounds cryptic and a bit gibberish <clears> Then <throat> someone else says or somebody else prays and they have an interpretation. And as like I said earlier, when this happens, this is an orderly way of practicing tongues. This exhausts tongues up to the prophetic. It's just the same thing as prophecy. Paul actually says, you know, if you can sidestep the gibberish, it's better to just speak in plain, Uh, I guess back then they would speak in uh, Greek or uh, Aramaic or Hebrew. For our instances and purposes, Paul said it'd probably be better if you guys just sidestep tongues and just spoke in English. But when somebody does have a tongue, God must be speaking. Somebody should have an interpretation. If there's no interpretation, go back and pray about it some more. And that's how Paul handles uh, that one. But there's a third kind that Paul talks about uh, specifically in this chapter between verses 10 and 18. Sometimes you've heard, again, if you grew up in the church, or you can, you've heard some of this terminology, you've probably heard private prayer language. And I don't know if that accurately describes what Paul is saying, because he doesn't limit it to just prayer. But he talks about the way a way in communicating with God where it's, it's personally edifying yourself. This is chapter uh, verses 10 through 18. There's a way to pray in a way to sing that's unintelligible to others, but it's great for personal edification. It's probably probably the most self-oriented gift of all spiritual gifts. I'm not saying it's a selfish gift, but it's a self-oriented gift. And that's why Paul classifies that as a lesser gift, especially compared to prophecy, because prophecy is so others-oriented. This particular gift is very self-oriented, so Paul says less urgent, prophesy more. But I, I don't want us to to frown upon like the personal edification aspect of it, uh, because it's not a lesser gift. It's it's not less valuable. Uh, you ever heard of bebop or scat? Yeah, any any fans? Elephus zero fans. Okay. For the rest of you, it's kind of like the. I, I'm totally gonna butcher this. Right? You right? Let's show this clip. Let's show this clip. This is Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra. bebop comes from uh, the idea that it derives from nonsense syllables used in scat singing. That's what the word bebop derives from. So, So this is the mechanics of tongues. I didn't say she was speaking in tongues. I'm just saying this is the mechanics of tongues. Okay. She has the plumbing. You have the plumbing because it's not mystical. It's, it's not mystical what she's doing. But also, at the same time, no intellectual person would look at what she's doing and say, that was meaningless. Frank Sinatra didn't say that. He loved it. Differently, though, different from scat, I'm not, I'm not saying tongues and scat are the same thing, right? I just wanted you to understand that there's the mechanics behind tongues. But you have the plumbing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like you're possessed, Okay. Difference is that 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 was a performance with tongues. It's not a performance. It's it's everything that your spirit could say to God if it had a language. And it really is about an emotional communication with God. And it really, like I said earlier about prophecy, it really can't be fully understood until you actually experience it for yourself. Now, do, would I like to listen to scat all day long? No. Like, give me some lyrics, man. But was it fun or refreshing to? To hear Ella Fitzgerald. Oh yeah, Paul said, yeah, that's the same thing with tongues. Same thing with tongues. You know, here's another example. Uh, me and Abe, uh, Abe is my two-year-old son, and he is feisty. And I know you guys, you guys we're praying for you, Dan, and we're praying for. And I know, I mean, Abe is that kid. Um, but we do something really fun. We wrote a song together, uh, <laughs> and the song is called "We Womp Away." And I'm going to teach it to you. Okay? It goes. We wam away. Your turn. We come on. Wam away. We 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 wam away. All right. Kind of a cute song for a father and son to sing, right? You know what it means? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but it's so fun to, to walk around the house, and he'll come around the corner, and I'm saying, Abe, we, and he just jumps right in. Well, well, he does that. You can ask Justin. He does that. It's our song. As a matter of fact, it's not even, I don't even sing this song with Justin. It's me and Abe's song. We sing this song because we wrote it together. Paul says, you know, this kind of tongue, man, don't you just see how fun it is? Don't just see that it's a, it's about a relationship with someone that you love dearly? But don't force it onto other people because they don't understand it. Prophesy. It's better to prophesy. But don't do away with this. It's so important. You, you do this. You may not do it in the But you do this in your own way. You hum. You groan. And you have the mechanics for it. It's not that mysterious. There's not one spiritual gift where you are possessed by the Spirit and you have no willful action. Every spiritual gift requires you to have willful action. I want you to understand that even with this gift, that's the case. Okay. Uh, Paul actually says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you guys. And what he's saying by that, I think, is because Paul understands both the benefits and the limitations. And so he can teach other people to do it properly. And I'd say this, you know, every gift you can seek. Some of you guys seek evangelism. Some of you seek leadership. You can seek tongues. You can seek prophecy. Paul says seek it all. That's the point. He says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. All right, we're going to wrap up with some practicality and then do some body life. Uh, I want to give you five environments to share God thoughts with people. Uh, The first environment, it's basic. You're like, oh, this is all basic stuff. I know, but let's be practical. First environment is over coffee, lunch, or even text. This is what I've sensed God was wanting me to share with you. You should pray about this. Over lunch, over text. Integrated with life. It doesn't need to be from a pulpit. It doesn't need to be this religious environment. Everyday life. Lunch, coffee, text. Hey, some of you guys get... Annoying text for me, 6.30 in the morning. And it's not because I'm trying to annoy you. It's I'm praying for you. Text people. The second environment is in the workplace. You may think that, oh, that's completely impossible. Do you know, do you know, do you know that even those who don't know Jesus as the Lord love to receive prophetic messages? Because it's as if the universe is speaking to them. And God's placed you there as a prophetic person. To speak his thoughts to people. Great place for it. Environment number three is in the face of lies that people believe. This week, man, oh, I was going to war with somebody, not with somebody, but for somebody. Because they had believed some pretty incredible lies. And I'm saying, Lord, give me words to encourage this person. In the face of some incredible lies that people believe, begin to speak prophetically into that. Environment number four, when affirming direction when somebody's in transition to affirm the direction that they're going. And environment number five, in body life. Because in body life, everybody gets to play. Paul says that when you meet as a church, and he wasn't talking about large gathering, by and large, whenever Paul writes about the church, he's in a house church, okay? So 12, 20 people. Because in this environment, everybody gets to share. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to prophesy. We're going to practice some body life this morning. I don't know how it's going to look like. Mike's going to lead us in a little bit. But I thought I'd, I'd, I'd start us out, and I want to share a, a story. Um, and I was a little bit nervous about sharing this with you because I didn't want to to make you guys feel like this is the only way to prophesy or this is the best version of prophesy, of prophesying. But I wanted you to see that um, uh, two things, two things that came to mind after I prayed about it. was One, I wanted you to see that I'm not just preaching a topic this morning. God is using the prophetic gift to build me up, and secondly, um, I wanted to bring a prophetic word that somebody gave to me to the church to pray about it and to 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 be that healthy mechanism that I need. To discern it. And I shared a couple of weeks ago that my wife and I went to this church conference. And um, long story short, um, it was a small little country church out in Simcoe. We were the only Asians there. Uh, and we were very nervous about, you know, kind of being there because we knew nobody. And so uh, after the singing time was over, the speaker who was from Connecticut stands to the pulpit, no kidding. He pulls out a notebook and he says, Is there a Dan here? I'm thinking there's got to be at least four or five of us in the room. <laughs> He's looking around. Is there a Dan here? No Dan. So Linda's kind of grinning at me. And so I kind of do this. And he says, stand up. And so I stand. He wasn't mean about it. He just says, you stand up. And he begins to share some things uh, again. And I want to I let you in on it because um, I, don't, I don't want you to think that this is the way that you have to prophesy. But there was a word given to me, and I want us to weigh it. And I want us to consider what it means. But I also want you to see that stuff, it's real. It happens. Oh, the interesting thing about this particular uh, uh, conversation is that that Friday, about three hours before, three or four hours before we went to the conference, me, Mike, and Adam, were having our regular uh, weekly uh, meetings. And at the end of our time, uh, we're talking about, I don't know how we got to talking about me going back to school and getting my doctoral degree. But we're talking about, okay, what does that look like? You know, should you really go back? I mean, is this the right time for you? Uh, what's the right program? And I think Mike says to me, you know, is Lena ready for you to go back? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm really not sure. So that's a setup for us to, uh, to, to get to Simcoe. So let's play. I put some work behind it just because you can't hear it all. And then we'll wrap up with that.
1: Almost, and I just feel like the Lord is going to start to to magnify some things for you, where other people have difficulty seeing them. You're going to be able to see them very clearly. And I think there's two things. I feel like it's a spiritual gift of seeing, but it's not going to manifest itself just in like a a, a spiritual churchy kind of way. But I, I literally feel like there's a gift, like almost like a discovery gift, that's on you to discover things, like a. a I see almost like a scientist nature about you. And I just feel like the Lord is saying, like, there's things that are going to be difficult for other people to figure out. You're going to be able to figure out and teach others. And I feel like people that have challenges in learning, you're going to be able to help them learn easier. Because you're going to be able to magnify things for them and help them. Uh, Am I I making sense at all? Yeah, okay. So also feel like there's also, um, like, a higher degree in the spirit that God's bringing you into in this next season. Almost like a spiritual doctorate that God's putting over your head, and I feel like the God is saying that you literally can complete a higher degree, and and you're gonna have the time to be able to do is is your is that someone with you? Is that yeah, yeah. that's my wife? That's your wife. She she's not telling me to say this is God, so just in case she's probably been telling you the same thing. But so I just feel like the Lord's saying like you're gonna be have the time to finish that as well as. I feel like you're almost like saying, but I need to make room for other people to kind of get into their flow of things. And I just feel like the Lord said, you'll be able to go higher in that as well as bring your children, family into that, that they'll be able to complete that process as well. Um, but I feel like there's, um, there's going to be favor for you to reach people uh, in academia, uh, in, in places of uh, intellectualism. But you're not going to reach them just through argument or intellectual argument. really it's through uh, experience of God. Uh, and, I, and I feel like what the Lord's going to do is really uh, use you to heal the wounds that are in like smart people have wounds too. Isn't it's funny? Like we think we look at people have education or you know they have a good job or whatever and it's like they got it all together but there's wounds inside of there and I feel like the Lord is going to use you to take people that look like they have it all, all together but on the inside there's some pieces that are missing you're going to help them find that missing and it's it's like a sozo kind of wholeness that you're going to bring to them in the yeah. academic world. So, yeah, we just bless Dan in Jesus' name. It literally is a Daniel uh, grace on your life. Like Daniel uh, could stand in places of academia. He could stand in places of influence and um, in other languages. And then there's other cultures that are either going to be impacted by it. And so, God, I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. We just anoint him uh, for favor uh, for the next level uh, of a higher degree. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. That was Linda in the background. <laughs> she's, she's videotaping the whole thing, what's going on. Um, so no conversation with anybody. He, I could have been a plumber from China that didn't speak English. He had no clue that I was a pastor. <laughs> so I took these words, and I'm taking it to spiritually mature people. I took it to Mike, because Mike's spiritual. Mature. And mature. I'm just joking. And he he and I agree that this raises probably just as many questions as it it does, like, provide uh, answers. But can I tell you, when he stood me up and he said these things to me, I felt like God was paying attention to my life. I didn't feel like I was just randomly living life. I felt like God deeply cared about every conversation that I have. And it gave me so much encouragement. And... I don't know if I'm going to get my doctorate degree, but I guess I have more courage to do it now. You see, the point of this is to not tell people their future or the trajectory or the plan that God has for them. Paul says this is to build people up, to give them courage to do the things that God wants them to do, to live out the life of Jesus in their own life. The point of this is you can do this today. You can do this this week. This gift is accessible to any one of us. Paul says all should prophesy the church should be built up. And so I, I hope and pray that um, at least there's something about today uh, that will stir up this desire to hear God's thoughts and to share it with other people. If you're, if you're not yet a Christian or if you're still working through all this stuff, Paul says that this gift works in particular in your favor because it can break your unbelief. He says that when we when the church prophesies and there are outsiders or unbelievers among you, it lays their hearts open and they confess their sins to God and they declare him as Lord. And that's what I pray would happen for you today. Whether you're religious or not, you have your own you have your own prophets. If you didn't grow up in Christ, you still have your own prophets. Alan Greenspan, CNN, your yoga teacher down the street, you have your own prophets. But Only Christianity says there was a prophet that came from heaven that died to get rid of your sins and to promise you that everything will be made right. I want to invite you to him this morning, to not just the prophetic gift, but to the most perfect prophet himself, to Jesus. I want to invite you to stand up and we're going to pray together. And we're going to respond in worship. God, give us freedom to worship you and to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because you're truly in charge. Only you know what's going on. You know what's going on. God knows what's going on in your life. He's got your number. He knows. It makes it all easier when we surrender to Him. God we can't do that just like salvation doesn't come to us naturally the Holy Spirit needs to intervene Holy Spirit would you intervene even now intervene lay hearts open to you help us to respond this is a time this is a time for many of us if we've ever rejected anything that the Holy Spirit wanted to give to us. This is a time for you to to, to repent and say, Holy Spirit, sorry that I pushed certain things away. I come to you with an open heart and an open mind. Have your way with me. Let's respond.